The Bible reading for today is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through to 11, but we're actually going to be taking it over two weeks. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join with them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. For they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Right. Well, a lot of non-Christians have the attitude, those Christians, they're a miserable bunch. Uh, They don't even know how to live. And I do understand how some folk who come, come to that perspective because some folk who profess to being Christians... Well, they're pretty sad sorts of people. And some are cranky. And for some, whenever they go to church, it's just like they're doing a religious going through the motions. And there doesn't seem to be any joy in their life. And they just, you know, we talk about being spiritually alive and and some people just have no life about them. And so an unbeliever sees a few examples of this and they compare it to the fun that they think they're having, and they go, you you lot just don't know how to live, you Christians. But in fact, the exact opposite is true. Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. But, you know, it's not until we start thinking in the same way that Jesus does that we can understand this. Uh, over the last few months, as we've been studying this, this letter of First Peter, we've, we've been hearing about how the Christian life involves suffering and the Christian life involves torment. And it's not just the normal suffering that randomly strikes anyone, no, no matter what walk of life they come from. We, we all suffer that sort of thing, whether it be health or whether it be, be um, the loss of a loved one or, or whatever. Uh, Disciples of Jesus often suffer additionally simply because we follow Jesus and the world doesn't like it. 
Right? Now, as I've said before, when Peter wrote this, he was living in Rome and he was daily witnessing the horrendous atrocities that, that Nero was doing to the Christians. And the churches that, that he was writing to, they weren't living in Rome, but they were still part of the Roman Empire. And while the, the um, persecution wasn't quite as bad as what it was in Rome itself, it was pretty bad nevertheless and getting worse. And persecution didn't end with Nero. Persecution continues today. And a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you an article that I'd read in the Australian newspaper, a secular newspaper, quoting a 2019 report commissioned by the British Foreign Secretary, and it revealed that 80% of all religious persecution in the world today, you got that? 80% is directed at Christians. Christians cop 80% of the world's um, religious persecution. So how can I get up here today and talk to you about having a great life, about having a full life, about having an abundant life when there's all this extra suffering going on for Christians simply because we follow Christ? Well, when it comes to having a full life, an abundant life, some, some preachers can get really shallow and they preach a prosperity gospel and they tell us God wants you to be rich um, and they preach health, wealth and a long life. Now, how did Jesus go with that? Jesus, Jesus wasn't carrying around bags of money. Um, as far as we know, he's healthy, but he had a very short life. See, the, the full life that Jesus lived and the full life that Jesus preached wasn't about health, wealth, and a long life. It was about being spiritually alive. Right up. So right from the first verse, Peter starts talking about the flesh. And I think we just need to clarify something here to save us from getting a little bit confused. When we read the Bible, we understand, don't we, that, that the Bible wasn't all written by a single person. We call it the Word of God because it's been inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, by the one Holy Spirit. But different books of the Bible were written by different people, and we know that people, different people use their words differently, all right? So we've studied in the past a few of Paul's letters. And when Paul talks about the flesh in his letters, uh, the Greek word is sarx, he, he's talking about our sinful nature. He's talking about, when he talks about the flesh, it's about how we rebel against God. But in this letter... When Peter talks about the flesh, he's not talking about our sinful nature. He's talking about our flesh. We're bags of meat and bone, aren't we? And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about our physical life and our physical bodies as opposed to the bodies that we will have when we're raised from the dead. And when Christians suffer persecution, it's the flesh that suffers. You think about it. Imprisonment torture, starvation, deprivation, confiscation, enslavement, execution. It's our earthly life, it's our earthly bodies that suffer. And Peter urges the readers of this letter that when they encounter persecution and when they suffer in the flesh to arm themselves 
in the same way of thinking as Christ. All right? Suffering in this physical life only makes sense when we process it with the attitude of Christ. You see, our normal human way of thinking would, would avoid suffering at all costs. It's about self-preservation. It's about safety. And dare I say it, it's about comfort. That's pretty sad, but, but it's true. Many of us are simply looking for a comfortable life. Now, how shallow is that? And if your priority in your life is comfort, safety, and self-preservation, then being a disciple of Jesus is probably going to be very difficult for you. And that's why when we're born again, we leave behind our old human way of thinking and we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. We arm ourselves to understand that our physical life, our earthly life, it's actually expendable. It's going to come to an end anyway. It may come to an end shorter if we follow Jesus. And yet, when suffering comes, sometimes we ask the question, oh, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do to deserve this? Now, without actually thinking about it, um, that way of thinking is based on a premise that God will always bless me. And so if I'm suffering, then I must be out of the will of God in some way. If I'm suffering, I must have done something wrong. If I'm suffering, I must have a sin that I haven't repented of. Or if I'm suffering, then I mustn't have enough faith. And sadly, I've heard some Christians accuse other Christians of that very thing. Oh, you're suffering in the way that you are because you're obviously a very sinful person. <laughs> There's something that you haven't repented of. And you know what they're really saying there? You need to be like me. I'm not suffering, therefore I'm not sinful. Now, how arrogant is this? And how sad that, that some people would, would say to others that very thing. What a nonsense. Did you know that suffering is actually good for us? And it's good for us spiritually. When we suffer, that's when we turn to God. That's when we become more dependent on God. It's when we become closer to God. But it's also good for us in another way. And some of you might think that I've gone crazy telling you that suffering's good for you. That's okay, because Peter says something pretty strange here. In verse 1 he says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Huh? Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, some people have had some strange ideas about this sort of notion. Uh, throughout history, there's been various religious people who have had the practice of self-flagellation. Like they'd grab a whip and they'd whip themselves. Oh, I've been so bad. I've done so many things wrong. And, and some would punish themselves in other ways. And, and, and what they were doing is they're sh trying to show God that they're really sorry for their sins or they're trying to punish themselves that I can't, if I punish myself then, for this, then, then maybe God might forgive me. Um, and maybe if God sees how sorry I am, then he might forgive me. Now, I don't think that that's the type of suffering which stops our sins that, that Peter's talking about. Because the simple fact of the matter and... 
I can speak from experience here. Uh, my experience has been that when I suffer, that hasn't stopped me from sinning. And um, some people, when they suffer, they get more cranky. They get more demanding. They get more selfish. And they swear more and they curse more. But you see, that's not being armed with the mind of Christ. But I want you to remember that Peter's specifically talking about suffering persecution. Right? The persecution that these people are suffering because they're faithful to Jesus. You see, at one time, they were conformed to the world. They weren't following Jesus. They didn't care if their manner of life pleased Jesus or whether it was just the same as everybody else. They were quite happy to join in with all the sorts of sinful behaviour. They weren't any different to anybody else. And so they weren't persecuted. And they didn't suffer. But when they became a Christian, something significant changed in them. It was like they weren't the same person anymore. And they weren't the same person anymore. They'd been born again. They'd been renewed. They had repented of sin and they'd become alive in Christ. They were no longer conformed to the world. And their whole allegiance had shifted. They had once had allegiance to the world and the ways of the world. But now their allegiance was to Christ and to Christ alone. And that's why they suffered. And so their suffering was now proof that they were fair dinkum followers of Jesus. Um, now, when I was preparing this message and writing this message, I sort of think, I know there's a few folk overseas who listen to this, and I was sort of thinking, they're going to they're gonna hear fair dinkum and go, what on earth is he talking about? But for us Australians, that, pers- that gets it across, doesn't it? They're fair dinkum. They're true blue. They're all, they're all on for this. this is, they're the real deal. And this is the main point of today's reading. All fair dinkum disciples of Jesus will be persecuted for their faith. There'll be a lot that don't get persecuted. And they're probably not fair dinkum. Some Christians will live with the constant threat of prison and death. Here in Australia, well, certainly at this stage, that's not a threat for us. Uh, our persecution might come more in the form of being mocked, being shamed. Uh, it's increasingly becoming so that Christians are being targeted by anti-discrimination zealots because we won't embrace the sinful world. And this is sort of coming through anti- various anti-discrimination legislations and stuff, which means that there's various think parts of the Bible that you can't read publicly or else you're contravening the law. And we're going to see more and more Christians uh, being targeted for this sort of thing. Or it might be something as simple as you might get excluded from a promotion at work because there's certain ethical lines that you will not cross and your boss knows that you won't cross them. So you don't get the persecution. You don't don't get the promotion. Um, He'll give it to somebody else who is willing to cross those ethical lines because they're going to bring in bigger profits for him. And when you suffer physically and when you suffer torment for the sake of Christ, that's a pretty good indicator that your faith is fair dinkum. You with me? 
right? You see, if I'm just dipping my toes in the waters of Christianity, and yeah, I'll have a, I'll, I'll have a little bit of that, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to fully commit, then I'm probably not going to be willing to suffer for Jesus, am I? In the parable of the sower, Jesus talked about the rocky soil where the seed was sown and the crop got up and going really quick, but then when the hot sun came out and started to beat down on it, it died because it didn't have any root. And he said, that's the ones who fall away when persecution comes. That's the ones who receive the gospel with great joy, but they're really shallow. And as soon as the persecution come, they fell away. But let's not be shallow soil. Let's be deep, rich soil and stand strong for Jesus no matter what the cost because we've died to sin. And so Peter says that we've spent enough time living in sin and so for the rest of our physical lives, don't live for human lusts and desires, but let's live the rest of our physical lives for the will of God. Right? And this is what I said before. This is about us being fully committed to Christ. This Christianity thing isn't something we just dabble our toes in and just get a little bit of a taste for. We don't just add a little bit of it to our lives. This is our life. Christianity, being a servant of Christ, being a child of God, is our life. And when you become a Christian, when you are born again, Everything changes. What once used to be acceptable and normal isn't acceptable and normal anymore. It's changed. Jesus told us that there's two paths, there's two roads. There's, there's a wide road that leads to destruction and there's a whole lot of people on that road. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. All right? There's two gates, there's two roads, and there's two crowds. One of the roads is a lot wider than the other. One of the crowds is a lot bigger than the other. And you're going to discover that when you become a Christian, it's going to be increasingly difficult for you to run with your old crowd. It will. Now, in the New Testament, when the Bible talks about the Gentiles and the way of the Gentiles, the Gentiles are the non-Jews. And it is an ethnic thing. Um, in fact, the Greek word for Gentiles is ethnon, from which we get our word ethnic. Um, but it's not so much about race. It's about the way that the Gentiles were godless. You see, the Jews, they had God's law. And they knew right from wrong. They knew good from evil because they had God's law, the Old Testament. But for the Gentiles, for the godless, they didn't have that guide. And they were open to a plethora of sins. And the churches that Peter was writing to weren't Jews. Peter was. Peter was a Jew. But he was writing to Gentiles. At least they were Gentiles. And so God had done an enormous change in them. They used to run with the Gentiles because they were Gentiles. But that now they were running with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And when Peter describes what was normal for them in their Gentile past, I know about you, but as I read that, I thought, yep, he could just as well be describing Australian culture. 
living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Three of those examples relate to sexual sin and lust and desire, right? Sensuality, passions. Now, he's not just talking about, oh, what are you passionate about? Oh, football. He's not talking about that sort of passion. He's talking about lusts and desires, that sort of passion, and orgies, right? So those three relate to sexual sin and cravings. Uh, Two of the examples he gives relate to the excess of alcohol and drunkenness and substance abuse, right? So drunkenness and drinking parties. Uh, Now, excuse the language, but in in our colloquial language, we would talk about hiss-ups, wouldn't we, or something like that, right? We all have, that's what happens in Australia. And the sixth example is lawless idolatry. It's about the rejection of God and the embracing of other spiritual options. And isn't that the spinning image of what's normal in Australian culture? For some of you, it may very well describe what a weekend used to entail for you before you became a Christian. It it was normal for your mates, it may have been normal for you, and whether you enjoyed it or not doesn't really matter. It's what you did to fit in. But when you become a Christian, all of a sudden, you might realise I can't run with the same crowd anymore because I'm a different person. And yet we know that it's really important that we try to remain connected to our old mates because who's going to share the gospel with them if you don't? But I can promise you that even though you try to remain connected to your old mates, there's going to be a level of awkwardness there because you're on different paths. You're on different roads. And you'll probably find that you can't, you can't run with your old crowd anymore. In fact, they don't want you to. You'll probably find that your old mates will be surprised that you don't join in with them in the stuff that, that you used to do and they're still doing. And Peter says that they'll probably malign you, run you down. What do you think? You're too good for us now. So for me, when I was a student at Ag College, to me it seems like about 90%, but probably that was just the way it seemed. It might have been like about 70% of the students, even though a lot of them were underage, just lived to get drunk. It was like, oh, that's what's going to show you. It showed me a good time. And for, for a lot of them, it was like, this, this is the way I show that I'm, I'm an adult now because I can get drunk as often as I like. And back then, BNS balls were all the go. I think it was because it had the added possibility that they might pick up a Sheila for the night. Um, they, they were all boys at the Ag College at, in those days. And so they'd pay their 50 bucks for a ticket that would include an unlimited supply of alcohol uh, a ticket like that these days would be a fair bit more than 50 bucks, I'd reckon. But back then, I sort of, I, I used to gasp. Like, these fellas are spending day and a half's wages on, on grog for a weekend. Why would you do that? Um, and then they'd put on their, their suit and their bow tie and they'd go to the BNS. And then on Sunday, they'd come back to the dorms looking sick, hungover, tired, 
Uh, their clothes would be muddy and torn and stained, and they'd say, oh, that was the best weekend ever. Can't remember a thing. Must have been good. And then they'd, some of them would be sick. Uh, and I couldn't understand, why wouldn't you want to get involved with this? This is great fun. Now, for some of you, that may have been your way of life in the past. And you may have fitted right on in. But now your mates can't understand why that's not you anymore and why you don't do it anymore. So for some people, it's all about the grog. For some people, it's all about the sex and, oh, I just want to hook up with a, with a partner to have a good time tonight. For some, it might be about drugs, marijuana, speed, MDMA. You know, some people use drugs to escape. Some use it to open up their minds to what they think might be spiritual awakenings. Some just use drugs just to fit in, to go along with the crowd. For some, it might be about seeking spiritual enlightenment from anywhere but Jesus. I see this so much today. People heading towards new age stuff, yoga, tai chi. Maybe that people might get into crystals or meditation or or Reiki, or transcendental meditation. And, and a lot of people don't realise, even Christians don't realise, a lot of this stuff is all very much linked in and are spiritual practices of, of various Eastern religions. Now, and all Eastern religions, at least most that I've studied, ha have at their heart, and this is probably the appeal of them to so many people, and I'm sorry for anyone who might say to me, Michael, you've really oversimplified this, but... I'm trying to make it really, really simple. But when you boil them down, most Eastern religions, when you get to the very crux of them, it's about doing your meditation, doing your practices or whatever to lose yourself and to connect with the greater vast spirit and then to realise that your spirit is part of this greater vast spirit and ta-da, you're actually God. Um, if you boil it down, that's essentially what it has as its heart. Right? So Peter draws out the ways of these Gentiles and all of these godless paths, they're not exactly the same and not everybody does everything. For some, it'll be about the grog. For some, it'll be about the sex. For some, it'll be about spiritualism. They're just examples he gave. For some, it'll all be about greed. For some, it'll all be about comfort. For some, it might just be about whatever. But Peter says... With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join in in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There's an old song, secular song, that says, I say there is no heaven, but I pray there is no hell. Well, sorry, Judgment day is coming. But what does it mean here to say that God is going to judge the living and the dead? Well, I reckon it actually carries two meanings and they're both true and they're both important. The first is obvious. When Jesus returns, he's going to gather to himself all those who are still living. Right? So if you're, if you're still alive, don't be afraid that you're going to miss Jesus. He'll gather you together. With all those who have died, they will be raised back to life again. 
So if you've died by then, don't be afraid. You're not going to miss out on the coming of Jesus. The righteous, the disciples of Jesus, will be raised to eternal life, while those who have rejected Jesus will be raised to, to judgment and punishment. Right? So the living and the dead will both be brought to the day of judgment. That's one thing that it's meaning. But in the context of where Peter says this, there's another thing which is really important for us to understand. The living and the dead are the spiritually alive and the spiritually dead. In the paragraph immediately before this, what we studied last week, Peter said that that Jesus was made alive in the spirit. In the Greek, the the word that he uses there for, for life or made alive is a form of the word zoe. And then the word spirit is pneuma. And up until now, in the paragraph that we've been studying today, he hasn't used the word Zoe for life. He's talked about live, live, alive, way of life, all of those things, but he hasn't used the word Zoe. He's been using different Greek words. And so this is tying it back to what he said only a paragraph earlier in his letter. God is going to judge living and dead, Zoe and Necros. He doesn't even have the word the in there. God is going to judge living, dead. It's similar to when Jesus described the time of judgment and Jesus described it as as a great separation of the sheep and the goats. Sheep, goats. Alive, dead. Spiritually alive, spiritually dead. It's this, this great separation. He'll be separating the spiritually alive from the spiritually dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, necros. How how is the gospel preached to the dead? We preach the gospel here. I'm not preaching to the the dead, I hope not. (laughs) How do we preach to the dead? Do I take the pulpit out to the cemetery and start preaching? No, I don't preach to the physically dead. It's too late for them. There's no point to it. The gospel is preached to the spiritually dead. It always has been. The gospel is preached to those who don't yet know Jesus. The gospel is preached to those who are on the broad road that leads to death and destruction. The the gospel is preached to the godless, to the spiritually dead, because God's desire is for them to live spiritually, eternally. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. What Peter was doing here was he was explaining to them why the gospel was taken from the Jews to the Gentiles in the first place. You know, the Jew would have thought of the Gentile, they are so fallen, they are so far away from God, they are so godless, they are so immoral, they are so filled with debauchery, they have so rejected God that they would embrace just about any other spiritual alternative that they could find that would be the flavour of the day. Why would you take the gospel to those sorts of people? And we could ask the same question today. Why? 
Why would the gospel be preached to a land like Australia, where, where our country has become a people who have so overwhelmingly and uncategorically rejected Jesus? Why? For the same reason. The way people live, the way they reject Christ, the way they malign Christians, sure, they're spiritually dead. But if the gospel is preached to them, there's a chance, there's a chance that they might just turn their hearts to God and live in the Spirit. And we know that there's hope for them because this has happened for us. If we were to be judged by our acts, we too would be doomed. I would be doomed. But in Jesus Christ, we are born again to a new spiritual life. And now we live in the Spirit. Now we live in the Spirit. We, we mightn't be able to run with the same crowd as what we used to. But isn't it good to be spiritually alive? Is that good? Some of you. I was listening to a preacher on the, on the wireless yesterday and, and, and he was excited. He said, I'm really excited here because I realise that I'm, I'm in a congregation full of bobbleheads. <laughs> and I don't know if you guys realise this or not, but some of you, when, when you hear something amazing that God has done, yeah, an, an amazing truth of the gospel, you sit and you say, mm, it's great, it's wonderful. And it's really encouraging to a preacher. And I sort of had actually thought of it the way he said it, though. Oh, it's so good to be amongst some bobbleheads here. Oh, yeah, it's great. Anyway, but it's good to be spiritually alive, isn't it? Come on, bobbleheads. Yeah, yeah it's great. And I love it. And we mightn't be able to run with our old crowd anymore. But we've still got to maintain connection and still share the gospel with them. But isn't it good, isn't it really good to run with our brothers and sisters in Christ? I love you guys. And I love being a part of the church family. And I love running with other Christians. It's got talking this morning again with a bit of joy about connecting with another church while there's away on holidays. Good to do that, wasn't it, Scott? Bobblehead happening. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that just as you raised Jesus from the dead and made him spiritually alive, that through him you take us who were at one time spiritually dead and you make us alive in the spirit. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us to run in your ways instead of running with the crowd that we used to run with. Lord, you have called us away from our old sinful life to this new life in the spirit which is a life of righteousness and a life totally devoted to you. Lord, when others would malign us because we don't any longer do what is normal to the sinful world, give us strength, give us integrity and give us hearts of love like you have a heart of love, that we would pray for those who malign us and that we would be bold enough to share the gospel with them. And Lord, we, we do this now. We pray for those who don't yet know you. We pray for the spiritually dead, that by your Holy Spirit, that you would draw them to faith, 
that they too would live by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.